Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. Welcome back to the Embodied Faith podcast. People are wounded, suffering, traumatized, and they need the gospel. They need the freedom and the liberation of Jesus, but so often the way we share the gospel can cause more harm than good, especially for people who have been traumatized. So today I'm talking with Charles Kaiser, who uh, has been thinking a lot about trauma-informed evangelism and how we can keep from unnecessarily placing stumbling blocks in front of people who need to know the freedom that comes with Jesus. As always, this is uh, brought to you by Grassroots Christianity which is hoping to grow faith for everyday people. And this is the Embodied Faith podcast, which is bringing together neuroscience, faith, and spiritual formation. So Charles Kaiser is uh, the founding Founder, one of the founders of the pastor and pastor at Storyline Christian uh, Community, which is a network of missional communities in Dallas, Texas. He is very passionate about contemplative spirituality, which is amazing, but also healing spiritual trauma and making uh, creative expressions of Christian community. He is a theologian in residence at the Neighborhood Seminary and has co-authored a book with Elaine Heath called Trauma-Informed Evangelism, Cultivating Communities of wounded healers. Oops, this is the button. There we go. Charles, thanks so much hey, for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, kind of reached out and we, you know, we've been connecting on Facebook and other places about all this stuff. And how did you kind of get into this idea of trauma informed evangelism or just kind of being a trauma informed pastor or church? Sure. Uh, in some ways, it kind of came and found me. It came and found us. Um, you know, several years ago, as part of a new missional community that was starting in our our storyline community, uh, we started showing up every week at a bar in our neighborhood where we found a uh, a board gaming group, a very serious board gaming group. And I am, uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not a programmer or a or a left brained analytical kind of person. So I was like out of my depth with all of these obscure German games that I'd never encountered before. Uh, but our neighbors there were so hospitable. Uh, they sat us down and welcomed us to the space and taught us new games we'd never played. And through, through our rhythms at that bar every week, we just started making good friends and um, uh, building community over time you know, involved us entering their homes and them entering our homes for a monthly family game night where sometimes we'd have 40 or 50 people in our house from this network of uh, board gamers. And lots of my friends in this community are uh, self-described atheists or agnostics. Uh, and I, in some ways, this is 
this is community. This is what church has been to me. It's community for for my friends uh, who are board gamers. Uh, a few years in to, I mean, that's probably five or six years ago we first started doing that. A few years in, I was in a doctoral program with Fitch at Northern, and I was learning these skills for ethnography. And I thought, man, I should, I really want to practice some of these skills with my friends in this board gaming community. Uh, cause I, I want to kind of dig below the surface and see what really makes this community tick. I was curious just about the kind of the architecture of community and relationships in this, um, in this bar and in this network of, uh, people and, and what made it so, you know, so meaningful, nothing super spiritual or religious about it. Just like, you know, basic sociological research, ethnic, ethnographic kind of research. I had one question at the end about uh, transcendence. Uh, is there anything you find transcendent about your experience in this group? And, um, you know, most of my friends, again, would, you know, they'd say, well, I don't really have a, I don't, I don't operate in those categories. I, I'm not sure how to answer that. Um, but can I tell you the horrible things that have happened to me related to religion. Mm. And, uh, it, it just, uh, it hit me like, like a ton of bricks. I mean, and it wasn't one, it was, it was almost to a person that I, that I spoke with in these eight or nine interviews that I conducted. Uh, these stories were shared over and over again. Like that, like, that those uh, the experience of harm was just right below the surface, such that just the mention of even transcendence um, activated something, brought it up to the to the surface, and so that that uh, kind of sent me on a journey. To I did my doctoral research um, on the experience of religious trauma uh, in storyline participants and in our uh, among our friends in this board gaming group. Uh, part of what I realized is, you know what? Lots of folks that are part of our community and storyline have these kind of stories in their background. And you know what? Now that I think about it, I've got some some harm and some trauma in my background, uh, family fragmentation and deep hurt. That man, I I really want to learn more about this. I want to I I want to figure out like what what are the dynamics at play here, and like is there is there any hope of healing? the harm that seems so fresh for, um, for my neighbors and even for folks within my spiritual community. So that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the impetus for, for my doctoral research, which then turned into this book co-authored with Elaine called trauma informed evangelism. Oh, wow. Thanks for sharing that. Just the way that all this kind of emerged out of your longing to connect with the people in and around you. Um, as a side note, I love board games, but if we could find a group like that, that's for like lawn games, I would join competitive lawn. Yeah. Game. Like, definitely... like cornhole lawn games. Is that, is that? The oh yeah. Of and all of them. Okay. Cornholes, right. you know, whatever the washers one is, you know, oh, Frisbee, man. the pole, there's a pole game. There are all sorts of, you know, ladder man. ball. I love yep. all that stuff. Man, Anyways. I bet there's one, I bet there's one out there. I bet, I bet there, is. there probably is. There probably is. <laughs> well, so in your time of, of being with this competitive board game, group and uh just kind of ministering asking these questions about transcendence and kind of you know hitting that nerve of like you know i have pain here um you seem to 
have learned, you know, through your study, but also through your practice, uh, kind of certain postures or kind of a way of understanding of creating a context, a hospitable context uh, for like a trauma-informed evangelism. You talk about different practices and things like that. Could you just kind of walk through like how you came about uh, these kind of practices or or what they look like? Like um, why do you have to intentionally kind of create kind of a, a practice or a posture amongst these groups? Uh, yeah, I think, I think the, um, the, the backdrop of these postures and practices for me was just learning, learning about the reality of abuse and trauma. Um, and I, I know that trauma is a frequent topic on this podcast. And so, I mean, your listeners are, uh, I'm sure are in tune with the dynamics, but it was all, it was relatively new to me um, when I started digging below the surface of um, uh, of the experiences of my neighbors and folks in our, our church, uh, just the concepts about spiritual abuse, the, the idea of uh, people being, being abused or traumatized in the name of God or in the name of religion. And that that's a, that's a layer that can exist alongside of physical, sexual, or verbal, or emotional kind forms of abuse. Um, that, you know, if it's ever motivated by, by God or by religion, that is, that's a layer that's at play for people mm-hmm. in, in, um, in the harm that they experience. Um, and it's, it's almost, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's super damaging because it's not just this person that's doing it to me. It's also God, apparently, and the confusion of is God doing this to me? Is this is this how God is relating to me? Hmm. Um, and then and then seeing spiritual trauma as the the imprint, you know, kind of to echo uh, uh, Bessel van der Kolk's work, the body keeps the score, uh, the imprint of spiritual abuse on a person's mind and body and brain is the spiritual trauma piece, and so. So the, I think, I think when, uh, uh, you know, it's the way that our, our amygdala fires up and keeps us locked in the eternal present. So when we're, when we're triggered or activated with that religious trauma, um, it, 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 we either shut down and, and zone out or we get into fighting mode, you know, all the trauma responses apply just, just because it's spiritual trauma doesn't mean it's, you know, uh, ethereal or, or like spiritualized. I mean, this is, this is something concrete that lives in our bodies, in our brains, in our minds, the way that any kind of trauma uh, does. And, and so the, the intersection with evangelism is most of our, most of our, well, I'll speak for myself, my, the way I've been trained up in evangelism, my experience of what is evangelism and how do I do it? uh, There's a lot of focus on proclamation and conversation and words and words and words, which I, don't get me wrong. I think words are important. I think speaking good news is important. But but trauma eats eats gospel words for breakfast. You know, we're, the words mm-hmm. will not get past the trauma that somebody has experienced religiously if it's there. Uh, it will trigger in in many cases. It will trigger their um, uh, some kind of trauma response. If it's there, they'll, they'll shut down or they'll get angry, um, uh, uh, or they'll try to get out of the situation. I I can see it 
you know, among my friends, when I say I'm a pastor, I can kind of see it sometimes in their body. I can see, you know, their body kind of freezes up and they come to attention. And it it's just a subtle, a subtle cue. A lot of times when I notice that, uh, okay, maybe there's, maybe there's something going on here and maybe it's not about me. Maybe there's some story in their past of harm. So I, 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 I say that on the way to practices, because if that's true, if people are carrying that kind of stuff around in their, their minds and brains and bodies, it's going to take a different tack uh, Mm -hmm. uh, in evangelism. We have to be sensitive and informed of that trauma in our relationships. Um, uh, if, if, if our relationships with our neighbors are really going to be good news to them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, I can start talking about practices, but I'll pause if that, if that, yeah, like, no, that's great for you. That, um, well, what you just described right there is why, um, my wife and I, you know, we stopped telling people that God loves them, uh, because, you know, with people with spiritual abuse or trauma, uh, and not just spiritual abuse, but just, you know, life trauma, like yeah. that just, that didn't do any work. Like it was just like, ah. like some people are, you know, anxious about love and they're like, I don't know. Some people are dismissive of love and they're just like, I don't, you know. And so we would say things like, well, God wants to be with you, you know, or, you know, God's, you know, understands what you're going through or, you know, using these other words. So, yeah, I think, I think that's really important. I think a lot of, uh, you know, listeners, a lot of people in the church, are are either themselves those who have been spiritually abused and are like how do I how do I move forward uh, or know those who have been or have neighbors and they don't know how to reach them because they're just like you know so why don't you so speaking of you know communicating the gospel why don't we talk about these practices and postures like what have you found yeah um, what have you experienced and what have you practiced yeah so I, I think um, the 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 first thing is, um, a shift in the way that we even see or understand evangelism. I I want to suggest that it's problematic if conversionism is our primary frame for evangelism. If if the aim, if the work we're trying to do in evangelism is to convert, um, I, I I think the danger there. Now Jesus says, "Make disciples." I want to make disciples. Hear me out. Uh, I. I think the danger in a conversionist frame for evangelism is that it creates a power differential um, where abuse can occur. Uh, it, it elevates me above my neighbor, and I, I have, a, I have a, an, a, an outcome that I am trying to imagine and, and manage, namely their conversion, uh, and uh, it, I will, I'll do whatever it takes to hit that goal. Uh, I think that creates the potential, that creates the conditions for spiritual abuse to occur. Uh, what I want to suggest, and this is this this is Elaine's influence in my life, is that we take a contemplative posture in our relationships uh, with our neighbors, where where we show up, uh, we pay attention to our neighbors, uh, to what God is doing. Uh, we we join in what we see God is doing, and and maybe most importantly for for being trauma informed, we release the outcomes. We have we have to release the outcomes to our neighbors and to God. Uh, and so, rather than having a conversionist kind of frame 
for evangelism. Um, we're releasing the outcomes. We want to let God do what God wants to do. We want to let our neighbors do what they are drawn to do uh, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, uh, I, I like to see evangelism as embodiment. And I, this is Fitch, embodied witness. Like what if, what if evangelism is uh, in a trauma-informed frame is loving our neighbors well? Um, what what if what if it is in our community life together, uh, bearing the fruit of the spirit in our shared life of love and joy and peace and patience and so on, such that we uh, we we demonstrate good news in the way that we relate to our neighbors, in the way that they see us relating and loving each other. Um, there is a uh, uh, there's like a tractor beam force that's created by that kind of lived good news um, that I think is at the heart of evangelism. And it opens space for words to be said, to describe what the Spirit of God is doing in that experience. Um, so I, I think the, the shift to, to, like, uh, to seeing our evangelists at work as releasing the outcomes and as, um, as embodied witness is a really important um, uh, first kind of step or practice or imagination, I think very concretely, especially when it comes to the um, uh, trauma recovery, I'm really influenced by Judith Herman's seminal work um, and her book, Trauma and Recovery. It's been probably 25 years ago that she started. She was really, she was one of the first to say, okay, hey, this this PTSD stuff that we're seeing in soldiers we're also seeing it in domestic violence. Uh, we're seeing it in other places, and we're not only seeing it trauma as a one-time thing. We're seeing it uh, the way that it's complex and chronic and accumulative over time. The way that people carry it more extensively. Um, and she's a therapist, and she says, "Hey, there's there are there are three stages of recovery from trauma." And while I'm not a therapist, uh, I'm a pastor. I'm a theologian. I really think uh, some of these stages are so instructive for our relationships with our neighbors who carry religious trauma. Uh, the first, the first stage is safety. So creating safety, I think, an embodied witness uh, creates safety with our neighbors, where where our focus is not on the outcome of someone's conversion, but on uh, the demonstration of the good news in a community of people amongst our neighbors um, that helps to create safety. Uh, I, I I think safety just takes time too. It takes uh, what I didn't realize in in my own like research was that the the three years that preceded those interviews was a safety building kind of stage. Mm. I don't think I ever would have heard those stories had I not been present in the in that board gaming community and had become a friend um, and had become a person that even though I was a pastor, people knew one person even remarked, one of my friends, um, I'll I'll call her Veronica. I changed my friends' names to protect their privacy. But Veronica said, you know, you're kind of y'all are surprising. You know, I've I'm really uh I'm I, I know y'all are part of a church together. There's a handful of you that are in this board gaming community. And I just expected, you know, when I found out you were Christians, I just expected that you would like come in guns a blazing, you know, to like evangelize and convert everybody. And you haven't been that way. 
And I can just tell that like, you're a really good, like community of people. And, uh, did she think you were going to pull out a guitar, like on a plane and just like play during right? the board, the board game session, right? and just do a worship yes. service, take it, not, take the space not over. trauma informed, not trauma informed <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. Sorry to jump in there. I was like, well, this happens. So, so what's the second That's point? Right. If it's safety, what's the second one? Yeah. So we're creating safety and you can't rush safety. Um, the second one is, um, it's the space where the story is told. Um, it, it is, it's reconstituting the, the story, the narrative of what happened. Um, uh, trauma fragments our memory. Uh, trauma, uh, trauma makes it difficult to tell the full story, but safety helps to create the conditions where we, we can bear witness to the pain of our neighbors as they, usually it's one-on-one, you know, as they, as they have come to trust me. Uh, and as I started, you know, asking questions and, you know, being curious, would you tell me more about that? Um, they will start to kind of tell the story of what happened to them. And, and what's important about this kind of storytelling stage is that there is an empathetic witness who, um, who hears the story, um, and who helps to, uh, to lament it and grieve it and say that it was wrong to stand against it. Uh, uh, so, you know, it, it, a trauma informed evangelism is an empathetic witness. And, and I think this is really important because I'll, t- I'll speak for myself. My, my main instinct when I hear stories of harm on a, if I'm honest is to get defensive mm-hmm. um, and to say, Oh, I'm not that way. Or, you know, there, there are lots of churches that are not that way. Uh, but you know, no, 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 don't, don't write all of it off just because you had one bad church experience. Sure. Uh, uh, that, that is true. Uh, uh, you know, and, and religion and spirituality, the way of Jesus is important to me. You know, it's, it's been deeply formative for me. Sometimes it makes me defensive to hear that it's such a negative experience for someone else. All of those things are true none of those responses are particularly safe to our neighbors. Uh, what, what our neighbors need to hear when they share their story of harm is uh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And that should never have happened to you. The, a church is the last place that should have happened to you. I'm so sorry. That, that's an empathetic witness to the pain of our neighbors and just that act of empathy in, in imagining and and putting ourselves in the shoes of our neighbors to say that was wrong. I'm so sorry. How sad and frustrating. Uh, there's healing that happens when a person of faith sees that and, and doesn't minimize it and acknowledges the weight of that. Some healing happens even in those moments when we're able to do that. So that's the, that's kind of the second Stage. And what's the third one? Third stage is reconnecting. Um, uh, wait, wait, reconnecting. wait. First two had S's. So safety, storytelling. I'm no, just kidding. You know, I'm, I'm a Baptist. So I'll, I'll come up with it. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not alliterated this morning. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So reconnecting. So, real briefly, what is reconnecting? Uh, it's <clears> just, it's reconnecting to relationships. It is putting the pieces, it's reconstructing faith and trust all of the things that were shattered by those experiences of trauma 
And I, I think this is particularly the stage where uh, theological conversation, where uh, talk about Jesus, the way of Jesus, the gospel um, often pops up naturally. Um, mm. In fact, when, when I go through the, uh, the storytelling stage with my friends, um, they are often the ones to say, hey, could we talk about God? After mm-hmm. that, that's part of they become their own theologian and philosopher and are trying to like put the pieces back together on the yeah. other side of that traumatic experience and the healing of naming it and grieving it. So that's the well, that's uh, that's great. So that that's yeah. like creating this context or some postures for a trauma and recovery kind of movement of safety story reconnection uh, yep. to be renamed with an S at a further date. And, um, so that, that, you know, and you're creating these environments, you know, and people are sharing stories of becoming vulnerable. Um, but then you get to share the gospel or you get to talk about God, you get to talk about the crucifixion and which in certain ways of telling the story of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, you know, you could either reconfirm the spiritual abuse or re-traumatize how, how do you tell the story of Jesus? Uh, and let's mm. just speak about like death and resurrection your crucifixion, you know, how does that become good news to uh, these people who are struggling either with physical abuse, but also spiritual abuse? Yeah. Yep. Uh, In, you know, all about five, five, maybe six minutes, five, maybe six minutes. Okay. No problem. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, my, my, I guess my opening caveat is, you know, I kind of see evangelism and spiritual conversation as a mosaic, you know, the kingdom of God, um, connects to every aspect of our lives. And I remember, in fact, that you and Fitch and prodigal Christianity talk about on-ramps. You mm-hmm. know, there's all different kinds of on-ramps to good news and to life in the kingdom of God. Um, and so, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense always. I, I say we start where our neighbors are and we talk about the things that are important and significant to them and imagine th- those realities in light of the reality of the kingdom of God. And that builds this mosaic at which, you know, at the center of which is the, um, the life and uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. You know, it, it's at the heart of good news, but uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not dogmatic to think that there's, uh, there's a story, there's a, a, a approach, there's a theme. Uh, I think we follow our neighbor's lead as they're curious and are, exploring. So that's my caveat before talking about, you know, uh, when we do kind of, how do we imagine the crucifixion and resurrection um, uh, in light of religious trauma? Um, I've been helped immensely by womanist and feminist and liberation um, scholars to kind of see some of the problems of uh, some of our imagination about crucifixion and um, resurrection. Uh, one, one is the uh, the valorization of suffering, um, uh, and uh, basically making suffering. Um, and this is kind of these are problems to kind of clear out of the way to see what might be happening in in a way that is healthy and healing for our neighbors. So uh, valorizing all kinds of suffering saying that all kinds of suffering is spiritual or good, it, it's problematic, uh, um, it, especially in light of slavery in the American South, where, where uh, 
African-American slaves were told that their suffering was a spiritual thing that they should endure for their master Jesus, because that's what it meant to be a Christian. I mean, that's, that's spiritual abuse. Um, so, so we have to clear that out of the way to say, well, okay, sometimes he, uh, suffering can be redemptive, uh, but sometimes it can just be evil and wicked and it should be something to lament and grieve and say, no, no, thanks. Um, so, uh, that, well, just to slow down really quick. So like when it comes to sharing, the good news of Jesus's death, right? Well, that doesn't sound yep. like good news. So we don't want to emphasize um, implicit stories that people with trauma or spiritual abuse already have, especially physical abuse, um, sexual abuse, um, domestic abuse, and things like that. You don't want to share the gospel, which is, well, the person in charge selected someone else to bear the suffering for the sake of everyone else. It's like, uh, so you're saying it was okay that the person in charge of my life abused me the way they did? Like, that doesn't sound like a world I want to be a part of, or right. that's why people are shutting down. So instead of that, you say, well, actually, um, the, the, the world of evil or um, the Roman government or those people who were in charge of the Jewish uh, religion or, you know, high priests, the Sanhedrin, they felt threatened and they, um, they took it out on Jesus and they, uh, they, eliminated him because that's what evil people regularly do. And Jesus uh, understands and knows the pain that you suffered too. And he has experienced a similar pain and suffering just like you have. Mm-hmm. Then people are like, Oh, like Jesus knows how I felt when that happened to me. Right. And that's a totally different way of expressing the gospel. than God loves you by killing his son uh, or something like that. Yep. Uh, so, so that'd be one kind of shift where you're emphasizing, yeah, there's injustice in the world and Jesus suffered under the injustice. Jesus suffered the indignity. Jesus suffered the, the willful and public shaming of himself um, by the powers at B. Uh, yeah. And, yep. and Jesus now can take that from you too. You know, that's what I, right. That's what I believe. That's what you believe. Like he, he yep. takes, he takes all that shame and that burden and that abuse on himself. He understands, you know, it, it just, I'm sure you experience this regularly. Like whenever you say something like, um, I found, you know, when I say things like, um, Jesus understands that pain. Like he went through that too. Like all of Jesus's friends abandoned him when he needed support and help the most. Like you've been abandoned. Jesus understand what, you know, things like that. Um, but usually that we have to have this broader understanding of the gospel. We have to have a, a sense of Jesus's own emotional life, but so often churches don't have any of that. That's mm. why we have, that's why I started this podcast. So we could talk about this stuff. All right. I so that's it. like, that's, that's like the crucifixion and things like that. What I jumped in there, but what are some other kind of ways that you, so yeah. you're trying to clear the ground of some bad ways of thinking about these things. So that's what are right. kind of like the helpful on ramps that you found? Sure. I know oh, the I ones want... that Dave and I mentioned were utterly brilliant, but if you could add a couple right. too, that'd be, that'd be really helpful. <laughs> Well, so so uh, just to agree with what you're saying, I think I think part of the imagination that has to change is that God is not a traumatizer, that God in the cross and resurrection is not a traumatizer, um, but it's not the God is not the abuser in chief, uh, but but God is entering into the experience of abuse and trauma in God's self. Uh, God is taking this up to echo like Moltmann. Take God's taking this up into the divine community to uh, to deal it, with it, to absorb it, to uh, to to experience it, to 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 heal it and uh, liberate it. All of that. Um, 
let's see, was there uh, I, I, another thing I want to agree with too is uh, to see the story of Jesus as Jesus is is experiencing almost every conceivable form of uh, abuse in the cross, uh, you know, physical and verbal and emotional um, and spiritual to the extent that all of this is motivated by a sense of, hey, we're we're doing this for God or, you know, even though there's, you know, the, the powers that be are threatened, um, it, it happens. There's some religious motivation and what happens to Jesus uh, uh, on the cross. And so that's part of Jesus's experience of crucifixion. And uh, in Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection, I guess I, I want to say that uh, Jesus is a survivor of religious trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can tell our friends, like you're saying, uh, Jesus knows what this is like. Jesus, Jesus has experienced this. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite, uh, we talked about empathetic witness. One of my favorite definitions of trauma is Gaber Mate. Uh, who says that trauma is what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, so, you know, he's pointing to kind of the, the relational dynamics of trauma. And so for trauma to be healed, you know, per Judith Herman, we need the presence of an empathetic witness. Well, Jesus, by virtue of his crucifixion and his experience of religious trauma, Jesus is the empathetic witness to our pain. Jesus sees it and understands it and comes into solidarity with it. And just that uh, just that seeing, Jesus seeing our pain and trauma that we've experienced, there is something healing that happens in that. And I, I would want to submit that um, this is not just some subjective view of atonement, that this is this is objectively rooted in the incarnation of God and Christ on the cross, that this mm-hmm. solidarity thing, this seeing, this empathetic witnessing, um, there is there's something healing in Jesus being the witness to our pain because he has experienced it himself. Um, yeah, well, I think so often certain, you know, conservative understandings of the atonement, and even if Jesus emphasized his divinity so much, right? Like, well, Jesus was God, and that's why his death is, is effective for all people, uh, which I don't disagree with, right? But they downplay his humanity. And I think that uh, what I'm hearing a little bit from you and from the other people that we've talked about is that we actually probably need to dig deeper into Jesus's own humanity so we can understand, like you just said, um, his life, you know, and the religious abuse just uh, last week during Holy Week, we recorded a, a episode you know, called coming from the verse of um, Isaiah 53, you know, but we kind of retranslated it as Jesus, man of trauma, you know, acquainted with grief. Mm, so a yep. lot of times we, you know, Isaiah 53 says the the servant was, you know, a man of sorrows acquainted with, but he's actually a man of trauma. He had, you know, all sorts of social displacement and, yep. you know, grew up in a violent, you know, world where he just had, was, was, you know, seeing dead bodies on crosses when he was a child and um, being, you know, socially dislocated he's going down to egypt and you know even having um uh, a questionable parentage uh where joseph is he really his dad right so he has like this you know all of this you know chronic stress all these types of things mm. um and, and, and so i think when it comes to evangelism we need to get better at knowing and understanding and, ex- and articulating to people like the humanity of jesus mm. um because i think a lot of spiritual abuse comes from uh 
people feeling like their own humanity has no place in this church or in this theology or in this system. And the only place that it does have is a very detrimental or bad place. It's like your humanity, your flesh, everything about you is bad and wrong and gross and ugly, and we're trying to get rid of it. And that just, on the front end of trauma, that just reinforces all the bad um, messages that people already have. And then when people start recovery, then they're resistant. They're like, don't keep telling me that stuff. I'm getting over that like mind loop. Uh, I'm trying to dig myself out of that. Um, And so we need to emphasize the humanity. Well, in the last couple minutes, um, do you have one or two more thoughts um, that we've kind of missed or glossed over uh, just about like sharing this good news of Jesus to people? Uh, so swing, swing for the fences, Charles. Sure. Sure. So since uh, baseball season starting. Right. Uh, apropos, you you uh, you mentioned my interest in contemplative spirituality at the beginning of the yeah. conversation, and I'll end with that um, uh, uh, because I think to do this kind of work, to be trauma informed evangelists, uh, we have to be contemplative evangelists, and and by that, I I mean the. Um, our experience of our own belovedness uh, and in our relationship with God that grounds us uh, to hear God uh, telling us that we're beloved and that God's favor rests on us and the ability to be able to rest in that. I feel like grounds, uh, it grounds self-differentiation where we're able to, to be close and connected to the pain of our neighbors without just being a, a total wreck ourselves, it also keeps us from being defensive to f- feel like we have to fix. I, I feel like this contemplative core to uh, to to stay in touch with our belovedness uh, is just at the the heart of seeing the belovedness in our neighbors when it might be difficult to see it otherwise, just because of the trauma responses that we might receive from them when we talk about spirituality or God or whatever. Um, so tapping in to that source, to that well, I feel like is the, um, that's fundamental to the ability to, to practice these postures and ways of being in relationship with people that we've been talking about, you know, mm. for the last several minutes. Yeah, that's great. And I, I'm just, uh, I have a, a plan for a future episodes on contemplative spirituality, but even on just on a, a neurological rather than a spiritual level, like mm. just contemplative practices, uh, promote integration and self-regulation. And if we are going to minister in a trauma-informed sense, then we're going to, um, you know, people's wounds are going to poke at your wounds, right? And so you need to be ready for those kind of things so that, you know, we're not all just racing down into this kind of, you know, worst amygdala responses, right? That's right. Um, uh, and of course, I believe contemplative practices have all sorts of great spiritual benefits too, but uh, there is those kind of just real tangible neurological ones. Well, thanks so much for doing this work and engaging uh, with um, these ideas, but also the practices. And uh, where can people uh, connect with you or kind of uh, learn about what you're up to? Sure. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Charles Kaiser, K-I-S-E-R um, is my last name. I, I've got a, um, a Facebook writer page, Charles Kaiser writings that you can find me at, uh, that I post content to. And sometime soon, charleskaiser.com will be live, but you know, that's, 
it'll someday. take me a minute. <laughs> well, the book, hopefully that'll come out before the book. The book is going to release will. sometime in 2023, early 2023. Trauma-Informed Evangelism, Cultivating Communities of Wounded Healers by Charles Kaiser and Elaine Heath. So that will be coming out. Maybe uh, we'll do another another episode uh, when we get a little closer to that date. But thanks so much for reaching out and jumping on and sharing uh, all the things you've been learning. Yeah, thank you. Have yes. a good time. Well, please, uh, for all of you listening, please uh, like and subscribe uh, to this podcast, uh, the Embodied Faith Podcast. You can uh, find it on a YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, which is Jeffrey Holsclaw. Otherwise, you can listen on uh, Spotify, iTunes, and all these other places. Um, but yeah, thanks for being on, and we'll hopefully talk again soon, Charles. Right on. Thank you.